listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. I am a joy to work with, right, Louise? <laughs> Every day. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate it. Well, happy Mother's Day. It is good to be here and to bring the message, even though it's Mother's Day. It's supposed to be a day off. And, um, <laughs> and particularly on the heels of yesterday, which was a great celebration. And thank you. I know um, personally how many people have have prayed and how many times I would throw my hands up and go, this is, I'm not, I'm done, I'm gonna, I, I'm good, I'm quit. And then um, the Lord would just just keep needling me through so many different people and in many different ways. Every fear I had, it seems like he had an answer, so praise God. I know everything now, I'm good. Um, not a thing left to learn. Um, it is Mother's Day, and you know if you're a mom or you know a mom or you have a mom that motherly love comes in lots of different forms. Um, there's care and affection. There's vegetables, um, chores. Those are very good for you. Thank your mother for that. Um, there's my favorite kind of motherly love, which comes in the form of fear, panic, and worry. And there are all sorts of things to fear, panic, and worry about. Um, maybe you've heard some of these things before. Did you do your homework? Have you finished your homework? Uh, is there enough gas in your car? Did you lock the doors? Are you sure you don't need a jacket? Are you sure you do not need a jacket? Raise your hand if you have ever said the words, Mom, I'm fine, in response to these or any other. Yep, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna be clear. I'm not apologizing, by the way. Um, it, it, I, I, my mom used to say this, if I'm, if I'm a little crazy, it's because you all brought me to this point. So I'm not apologizing. I just, I, I am acknowledging that, that there are all sorts of things to worry about in life and, and, and different things at different phases of life. And I think that there are turning points for all of us and how we see things and how we perceive things and how we deal and handle with things. And parenting seems to be one of those turning points in life where you put on goggles and suddenly um, are just like attuned to danger that you did not know existed before. I'll give you an example. I, I was not a fearless child. I've never been a super like brave and fearless person, but I did enjoy skiing when I was younger. We lived in Utah, just outside the ski slopes, and we'd go up for the weekend in middle school, and I learned to ski there, and I did it a little bit in high school and college, and I remember having great fun skiing. But it wasn't until I was three of my four kids into motherhood that I took a youth group on a spring break ski trip, and I was sitting on the lift, which doesn't have seat belts, by the way, I noticed that for the first time, that it occurred to me that I, what I was really getting ready to do, which was to propel myself down a mountain of ice and snow on two fiberglass boards. Who invented that activity? 
And so all of a sudden, I just, all these possibilities that had never occurred to me before just sort of came rushing in. And, and that's fear. That's fear as it changes, as we change. But it's always there, that, that natural physiological response to either a physical or an emotional danger that we perceive happening around us. And fortunately, for most of us, it's not like in biblical times when fear was a life or death matter. Uh, fear comes in smaller stakes a lot of the times. I saw this thing this week that said, um, you haven't known fear unless you've been stuck inside of a dressing room in a dress that's too small for you. And I, I'm sorry, men, if you don't get that, but it's real. Like, it's a problem. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I was trying on a blouse. I thought it was a blouse. It turned out to be a romper, and I, was, I couldn't get out, but it turns out it's because I was trying to go through the leg hole. Anyway, complete panic. Um, so all that to say, it, it's so many different forms, big things, small things, fear that we walk through for our children, for our loved ones, for our jobs, our security, our health health, our wealth, our social status, all these things that keep us up at night. And like the other things that we've been talking through throughout this sermon series, doubts, worries about our past, excuses that we use, disappointments that we encounter, fear can be like a tomb for us. It can limit us. It can draw our focus away from God. It can draw our focus away from the joys of life. It can become a dead place for us. If you've been with us in this Ain't No Grave series the last couple of weeks, we have been celebrating Jesus Christ as the risen Lord and Savior by looking at these places in our lives that can become dead places for us and seeing how God might be calling us out of those tombs. We know that God called Peter out of a tomb of, of regrets and mistakes. We know that God called Moses out of a tomb of excuses, Abraham out of a tomb of doubt, Joseph out of a tomb of disappointment. And today, we're gonna look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to consider how God may be calling us out of a tomb of fear in our own lives. I'll say because this is Mother's Day before we begin that this is one of my very favorite Bible stories in no small part due to the fact that when we were younger, we had an aunt who gave us a VHS tape um, of Bible kids, of, of Bible stories for children, and they were all told by this children's minister who had giant 80s hair and huge uh, shoulder pads and this little puppet named Puppy Love. And the, the dog, they would interact and they would do all the stories, and we just loved it. We watched it like on repeat. And we said all the funny parts. And speaking of motherly fears, right, I'm sure my mom was like, is this going to last forever? Will they grow out? That Can I break the tape? Where can we hide it? Um, we watched it over and over and over again. And so I, I share that because it is Mother's Day. And so I want to just use that memory to speak a brief word of conviction and encouragement over you, especially if you are a parent, that those seeds matter. What you do matters, even in the smallest and the goofiest and the silliest and the, the most, maybe even irritating way. What you do matters. 
for the life of your child, for the life of your grandchild, the life of kids here at church, whether you are involved in FSM or VBS or, or, or whatever, there are so many voices coming at our kids in the world today. Friends, root your voice in Jesus Christ and then go make sure some kid is hearing it. Amen? Amen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story is in the book of Daniel uh, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are contemporaries of Daniel. When King Nebuchadnezzar takes over uh, Jerusalem from Babylon, he calls them to the palace with a whole bunch of other young men that are supposed to be exceptional, come from noble families. They, like Daniel, reject the palace food and choose to live by their Jewish dietary laws. And in that obedience, God blesses them. They excel physically and, and, and mentally and educationally at all the things. Um, Daniel ends up being gifted to interpret dreams. And as a, as a result of all this success, the king puts them in a place of favor in the court. They are set as administrators over Babylon in, uh, in Jerusalem, which is where they are when King Nebuchadnezzar decides to erect a statue of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, which is about 100 feet tall, and set it up out there on the plains of Babylon so everybody can get around and see it, much like if there was a large statue of Sam Houston set out on I-45. And so there are all the people, the satraps and the governors and prefects and advisors and treasurers and judges and all the officials, and they're all lined up there along the highway staring at the giant statue. When the herald comes out and he proclaims, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down, worship the image of gold that the king has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Well, you can just picture all of them gathered there, the whole A-list of Babylon, the who's who of the southern Mesopotamian empire, and they're all catching up on the, on the gossip of the region, when all of a the sudden they hear the music and the harp and all the things, and they just drop down where they are like some ancient biblical flash mob and begin to worship this statue. And there they all are down on their knees except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know, because the Bible tells us how many instruments are there. It's a horn and a flute and a zither and a lyre and a harp and all the music. We know they must hear it, but they don't bow down. And it takes about a half a second, probably, before the astronomers, who are still hacked off about that whole dream interpretation thing that they got bested at, come forward and say, Oh, king, may you live forever. Correct us if we're wrong, but did you not just tell us that when everybody hears all the music, then everybody's got to bow down and worship the statue, or they get thrown into the fiery furnace? Well, there are some Jews that you have set over the affairs of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who do not worship your majesty or the gods or the image of gold that you have set up. And the king is furious. So he summons them over and he asks them, hey, 
Did you not hear what I said to you? I'm gonna give you a chance. If, I'm gonna play the music again. We're gonna get it all going. And when you hear it, go ahead, bow down. That'll be good. But if you do not, you're gonna be thrown into that furnace. And then what God would be able to rescue you from my hand? Well, to his credit, he does give them a second chance to defend themselves, doesn't he? I mean, he is not an idiot. He knows that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are, these are men that are exceptional. These are men that are gifted. These are men that are in God's favor. And like any other king or political figure, he has an agenda. He is not looking to destroy these three men. Because see, this isn't about religion for the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have worshiped Papa Smurf, and he would not have cared so long as worshiping Papa Smurf did not get in the way of the crown. Because then this becomes an issue of treason, doesn't it? See, in early Christianity, Christians were persecuted all the time. Why? Because they followed Jesus? No, because they refused to worship the emperor instead of Jesus. Or in Nazi Germany, we study how Hitler managed to, to align spirituality and national allegiance. Or in 1960, when the president of Ghana erected a larger-than-life statue of himself in front of the House of Parliament and inscribed on it these words, Seek ye first the political kingdom, and all others shall be added unto you. It's not an unfamiliar story for us, is it? Go to church? Fine. Pray? Absolutely. But put all that faith stuff in the way of my personal agenda, or my political agenda, or my social agenda, and now we have an issue, don't we? Here in front of these three men stands the king whose finger is on the button who has brought siege on Jerusalem and overtaken it, who has summoned them from their homes to the palace, whose favor has elevated them to a place of prominence and favor, and whose authority and rage threatens to throw them into a fiery furnace. I mean, you can imagine how exciting this is, being told by a dog puppet, can't you? You're picturing it right now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they stand up and they reply to him, O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, that's such a hard word, Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we will not Serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he does not. Five of the most convicting and yet challenging words in all of scripture. Even if he does not rescue us, even if God does not save us, even if we die in a fiery furnace, hear what they are saying. King, the answer is not you. The answer is not your golden statue. 
The answer is not a place in the palace with fine wine and food to be among satraps and prefects and governors and advisors and judges and all the important people. And the answer is not going to be dependent on how hot that furnace is because the fieriest furnace in all the world does not and will not change who God is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could have just done it. They could have just said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. We thought you meant the harp or the zither or the, we didn't, we didn't realize you meant all of it. All to, just fine, play it again. Get them all back out here. Play it again. This time, we will bow down. We're very, apologies. No. Because they could have done that. They could have returned. All would have been normal. They would have returned to the palace and, and, and been in their place of comfort and favor where they didn't need to worry. And the king would have continued to rule or he would have been happy until the next time, the next temptation, the next compromise, the next test for allegiance. And so they say, you know what? If it is, if it is, Worship the statue or head into the furnace. If it is live life this way or die this way, we choose the furnace. Because the hottest furnace still does not change who God is. And so Nebuchadnezzar orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commands the strongest soldiers in the army to bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the fire. And it's so hot, in fact, that as the soldiers do this, they themselves burn up and die because of how fiery the furnace is. And, and we can just picture the, the king sitting there in his self-righteousness, furious, waiting for these treasonous men to just burn up into pieces because of what they have done. When he looks into the furnace and he says, hold up, were there not just three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they say, yes, certainly your majesty, there were three. And he says, well, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the Fourth looks like a son of the gods. And so again, the king is no fool, right? He knows what's happening here is extraordinary. And he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out of the furnace. And he says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For they have, he has sent his angel and rescued them. They trusted him. They defied me. They were willing to give up their lives to serve this God rather than to worship my statue. Therefore, everybody who doesn't worship this God, we're going to cut you into pieces and burn down your houses. And we think, well, he was headed in a good direction there, wasn't he? Yes. And that's a sermon for another day. But what, what I'll say what we do see here is that, that the faith and the trust and the obedience of these three men has not only saved their own lives, but it has become a testament and changed the life of the king and likely many others. I mean, it's a good story, right? But I bet you're thinking, what has that got to do with me? 
Are you saying that I should never be afraid because God is good and God loves me and all the other things? Are you saying I don't need to fear crime in my neighborhood? I don't need to worry about the trouble that is coming upon my family, the things that we are walking through right now because I'm a Christian and poof, my worries are supposed to disappear? No, I am not. These things live and move around us. They are very real. I was talking to Kevin one day, probably in the middle of, the sem- of seminary, about all the, the, my panic and my worry and my anxiety and what was going to happen about this or that or the other. And Kevin says, I, I just don't know why you are so worried about all these things that are totally out, without, out of your control. Why would you worry about them? And I said, Kevin, I don't think you know what, how worry works. I'm not worried about the things I can control. I got those. It's fine. It's all these outside forces, all this unknown that causes us to to be awake at night, that causes us panic, that causes us worry. I know those things don't go away. But what I'm saying here, what makes this story so good is that there are two kinds of fear at work in this story. Fear of the world and fear of God. Fear of the world is that response, that physical, physiological response to the danger that's happening around us. It's the fear that shakes us, that threatens us. It's the fear that says something bad is about to happen. How do we get out of it? I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of losing. I'm afraid of missing out. I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of being hurt. I'm afraid of being ridiculed. This is the fear that drives us further into the world and further away from God. Because it robs us of our faith. It robs us of our trust. It focuses on limitations and not possibilities. It's the fear that we know all too well as parents, as grandparents, as young people, old people, people working through work or school or, or a sport or an activity. It's this fear that paralyzes us, that tempts us to compromise because we are afraid of what will happen if we do not, what will be taken from us, what we might lose if we do not. See, it's not that we fear in the first place. It's that we begin to fear the world more than we trust God. And we are led to compromise our faith and our beliefs and our convictions because these looming earthly consequences, it looks like this. It's the social engagement, the activity that we know isn't good for us, that we know we probably shouldn't participate in, but we do anyway because we are afraid of being left out or being ridiculed. It's the test that our doctor has been prodding us to take for months now, but we are avoiding because we are afraid of what it might show. It is the conviction that we abandon as parents because we are afraid our kids will not like us. We are afraid that the road is too hard and we may not be able to endure it. But the Bible speaks of a different kind of fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says in Proverbs. 
In Deuteronomy, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience, to love him, to serve him with your heart and your soul? In Isaiah, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let this person trust in the name of the Lord and rely on God. See, in these passages, fear doesn't mean that God is a danger or a threat. The root of the word fear here speaks of awe and reverence, rooted in knowing who God is who he is, who his, of, of his power, of his goodness, of his faithfulness, of his love. Fear of God does not negate the, the worries and the fears and the troubles of the world. Fear in God means that we know the battle has already been won for us. That we have an ultimate hope that cannot be found by bowing down to anybody's golden statue. Fear of God means that we not only see that there is an empty tomb, but we know it is empty because the man inside it overcame the grave, rose from the dead, and stands with us today. This is the kind of fear that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. The fear that knew that if they walked through the fire, they would not walk alone because there is someone with them that unbinds them and leads them to freedom. It is the same fear that is offered to us today, whether our obedience is being tested because of the food on the plate in front of us or the fire in the furnace ahead of us. Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We do live in a world that feels like it can be shaken any moment. We see it happen in big ways, small ways, all around us. But friends, it isn't about just this world that can be shaken. In Jesus Christ, we are heirs to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And the thing about these biblical narratives that makes them so great is that they are ordinary people, right? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Abraham, Moses, Peter. These are ordinary people that are facing challenges that are the same as you and I facing today. The context may be different. The time may be different. The place may be different. But doubt, anxiety, brokenness, fearfulness, faithfulness, all of it is still there, right? And, and while it is inspiring to know that we have the same strength, right, offered to us that these people did, that these narratives show us, what is also important for us to understand is it's not just about what these characters are made of. These stories remind us what God is made of. They remind us who God is. That God brings life from tombs and transformation from furnaces. I don't know what furnace you are staring into today, what fear you are walking through. I don't know what might be causing you to compromise, what might be robbing you of your faith, 
your trust, of your obedience, what might be holding you back from life. The band's gonna come back up here. They're gonna sing a song called Even If over us. And this, it's a remarkable song. It comes from this text, actually, itself. It's written by um, the band leader of Mercy Me, whose, whose son suffers from a chronic illness. And, he, and as he was writing the song, he said, even if as a reminder to people in difficult situations that don't seem to go away, that God was worthy long before any of those circumstances even showed up. Our fears are real. They test us. They tempt us. They threaten to undo us. They shake the ground underneath our feet sometimes, but not a one of them. Not a one thing that you are facing today, big or small, changes who God is. Not a one thing that you are facing today, big or small, changes what God has done for you and for me in Jesus Christ. Not a one. So as they sing, I, we're gonna sing with them and declare the same faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. The faith that does not always know how it's gonna turn out but the faith that knows that the battle has already been won, that we do not and will not walk alone, even if. We are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.